once you give yourself permission to go in the middle of the day and sit on your couch and crack open your book for five minutes, 15 minutes, it's almost like a big, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on Zen. Oh yeah. All the time. A big (laughs) fuck you to existing at life. And this is the gift you give yourself, but that is what it is. It's being okay with doing less or nothing at all for just a little bit. Welcome to the Zen-ish Mommy Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Gershman, and while I may never reach enlightenment, you will find me here cussing and laughing along the way. This podcast is a place for all women to connect, educate themselves, and slow down because you deserve a moment to pause and press play. Welcome back to another episode. We've got an incredible conversation lined up today. And I am, as always, your host, Jessica Gershman, the Zen Mommy. All right. So have you ever been around those people who just seem to get it? Like maybe they have figured something out in life and you're drawn to them. You want to be around them. I had an incredible yoga teacher, Rusty Wells, about 5 or 10 years ago. And he just had a sparkle in his eye and he lived the talk and he walked the talk and he talked the talk and he was so kind even when no one was looking and you just wanted to be around that energy. So our guests for today are an incredible sister duo. Michelle Anderson and Laura Massarella are the hosts and creators of Cozy Conversations with The Sister Project, a lifestyle and pop culture podcast. These are two ladies that talk the talk and walk the walk and live their life in all things cozy, have really found the secret to de-stress, to being fully present and engaged in our life, to getting all the joy and good feels is by, yes, ladies, slowing down. They live by the Danish principle of hookah. So if any of you guys have been to Amsterdam, which I have, outside of my mania of red light districts, smart shops, and 40-year-old birthday shenanigans, I really saw something in the Dutch in Amsterdam. They were outside. They were riding their bikes everywhere. Everyone had a smile on their face. There was this, je ne sais quoi, and I don't speak Dutch, so that's French, but there was this attitude about them that they wanted to do what made them joyful, that really took the time to slow down, to understand what brings happiness and joy into their lives, and then not only understand it, but actually implement it. So we will get and uncover this whole Danish principle and how these sisters' mission is to inspire people to slow down through a cozy, mindful lifestyle and seek pleasure in the simple things in life. Doesn't that sound amazing? Cozy Combos is a conversational podcast where the sisters like to catch up, share what they're reading, watching, listening to, and dive into pop culture stories they think their listeners should know about. It's the type of podcast where you'll learn a little and laugh a lot. These two ladies are here to share with us all their mindfulness and insight. So grab a warm cup of coffee, a cozy blanket, sit down, relax, and let's listen to what these two sisters have to share. Lauren, Michelle, welcome to the show. I feel like you're like long lost sister, cozy sisters. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. It's so funny. I feel like when you are with people that get it, like get this idea of mindfulness and presence and living in the moment and really participating in joy, 
it makes being around them so much easier, right? You don't yep. have to go through all of the hangups of like, no, no, it's all that mental suffering thing. You know? <laughs> don't overthink it. Just be in the moment. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier said than done, but yes. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So have you guys always been so mindful or who was first? No. Who kind of was last? I've not. Um, yeah. No, we've been on a journey, Jessica. <laughs> um, like in my 30s, I was mindless. I Amen. became more mindful in my 40s and had to live through some shit, suffer, struggle, hit rock bottom, and then find my way to this place. It's a nice place to be. I like it. I'm going to stay in this place. You're going to hang out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely um, better than the suffering for sure. Absolutely. I became actually, it's funny when you start going back and thinking like, how do you get somewhere? I was in a really crazy job. I was working for in a very small business for PR and it was really mentally draining. The whole vibe was not healthy. And I found myself in a really bad place. I was drinking a lot. I was drinking a lot of wine after work. And I would get on the phone with my coworker and we would sit and have therapy sessions with one another. And it would be hours and I'd be drinking and I would have to wake up and do it again and go to work and be miserable. And then I decided I needed therapy. And then I also wanted to do yoga. And I had dabbled in yoga a little bit. And then once I really found a space to go to, I dove in deep. And that is really where my journey of finding like a tool, like a tool being like, oh, this actually works. This gets me a little bit more present. This gets takes my mind off of where I am. I eventually left that job that I, I was telling you about and became a yoga teacher because it was so beneficial to my mental health. And I was in therapy as well, which was also very beneficial. But my therapist also played a huge role in helping me find some mindfulness as well. Yeah, yoga was my savior after I had the birth of my daughter, which is my story in 09. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh shit, this is go time. If I'm going to set an example and I want her to be a compassionate, kind, confident woman, I have to start loving myself. Mm -hmm. And you know, I had been in therapy in and out up until that point. But I remember, I always say when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. Mm -hmm. and I've done yoga before, but I was like, eh, it's not really for me. It's a little granola, a little too slow. And then when I was ready for it, it was like that first moment in Shavasana, I was like, oh my gosh, I finally felt okay in my skin, which was mm -hmm. like at 29 years old, it was the first time I've ever felt that for just you know a second. I was like, oh wait, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And for years, I would just keep going back to the studio and I would call my husband and apologize on the way home. And you know that started my love affair of training over the last, I don't know, 14, 15 years mm -hmm. and all the things. And it, it for me, and I don't know if you feel the same, Laura, it was my connection to God or something greater. You know, I had converted to Judaism, but I didn't grow up with religion. So I never really mm -hmm. had this spiritual connection and learning yoga philosophy, learning the ancient texts, really connecting with that and soul and spirit and all of that really was kind of my religion. Mm-hmm. I relate to that on a different level. I found a connection with myself that I felt like I didn't have. I felt like I was a little out of control with work and with, like I said, the consumption of alcohol. I, I was just binging out of despair. But I will say something that you just touched on. So I was doing yoga. I started yoga when I, what, almost 15 years ago. I've been teaching for a little over a decade. And I just recently had a baby back in July of 2022. And I have had to call upon a lot of that breathing and a lot of the patience and taking a moment to step away 
from being with my baby just to take a breath. And I've noticed how this idea of yoga and that practice that I had prior to is playing a role now. And it's helping a lot more than I thought it would. I'm actually really happy. I'm a yoga teacher and a 40-year-old mom because I think they go hand in hand. I mean, I feel like I don't know how I would be doing the mom part without some of the toolbox of the other tools that I have. That's right. It's all about creating our own individual stress relieving toolbox, right? Whatever that looks like. It looks different for everybody, but we need one for sure. Whether you're a parent, you're just walking the face of the earth. You know what I was saying to your girlfriend last night? I was like, she's like, I really think my husband needs meditation. I said, sweetheart, everyone needs meditation. If you have a pulse and you are breathing, you need meditation as a stress relieving toolbox. Michelle, talk to me about your journey into mindfulness. I think that I spent a period of my life going on autopilot into my 20s. I got married. By 30, I had twins. And at that time in my life, there was outside, you know, family things, and there were different struggles that were building along the way. And then we journeyed into our mom getting diagnosed with dementia in my later 30s. So I spent so much of my time caring for other people like my babies. And then my mom became my big baby and I sort of lost myself. I mean, I was running on overdrive. I was not taking care of myself. I was driving places and not knowing how I got from A to B, leaving my yoga class and calling the police because I had thought my car had been stolen, but really I was standing in front of my husband's car. I had forgotten I had driven it. And those were like the buildups to me really taking a look at myself inward and saying, you've got to rebuild. You need to get healthy. You need to take care of yourself because you clearly aren't. Now, how are you going to take care of anybody else? So what was your specific prescription, Michelle, to healing? How did you start that process? I know you felt this moment. You're like, I was in that same place of like something had to change. I was an overachiever, perfectionist, suffered with eating disorders, substance abuse. I mean, you name it. I was in it. And then I was like, I have to start getting my shit together. For me, the impetus was my daughter. And then Mm -hmm. I had to just start figuring it out from there. There have been a couple of times, but therapy for me, that was where I started. And I've had two incredible therapists in my life, one in my 30s, well, late 20s, and then later 30s. I needed to go to a place where I could understand myself better. I had all of these feelings. I had all of these emotions. I didn't feel right. And I felt, especially as a mother, I was not a good mom. I wasn't a present mom. I was a working mom. I was unraveling and I was not here 100% for my family. And so I had to go and seek out help a couple of times to just get a better understanding and some guidance and some strength. And also literally some like, this is how you can do this. This is how we can help Mm -hmm. you get to this point. It's okay. Here's permission to say this or have that feeling. And over time, I agree with you. Everybody should do yoga and everybody should have a therapist. Mm -hmm. I think that you should be born and you should get a pediatrician (laughs) and you should get a therapist for your whole life (laughs) because, you know, there is no handbook. And isn't that profound? Can you imagine what the world would be like if they encourage mothers to like, okay, get a pediatrician and then get a mental health specialist for your child starting at age when they're talking? And I even think my problem here is that the way that we leave the hospital with a newborn with your baby in your hands and like, okay, we'll see you in six weeks. And again, in that like 12 week meetup, but you should be leaving with a baby and a therapist. 
and oh, a, yeah. pelvic, and a pelvic floor therapist, physical sure. therapist. And I'm just blown away that we have to do so much hard work and digging around so and research to find more help for ourselves. I mean, it's insane what we go through. I'm back in therapy because I was having severe postpartum anxiety. I mean, I think back about after I had my baby, I should have been dead five times at least by now by different illnesses that have taken over and ravished my body because I had imagined them. And I had to find someone who would help me realize that A, I'm suffering from postpartum anxiety and B, as moms, we go through such a major shift in transition that no one prepares you for, which I guess for me, I voluntarily made this decision, but I didn't realize what kind of shift it is. And no one really prepares you even afterwards. Yeah. I mean, there is no book. And I think we have learned from society and from our parents, from our mothers, have you just put your head down and go through it. And, they and hand this, yeah, they're handed this baby at the hospital and you're like, wait a minute. No, no, no. I don't know what I'm doing. I remember that fear of like, you're really going to give this child to me. I don't know what I'm doing and forget that it wreaks havoc on your mental, emotional, physical, spiritual self. Yeah. And which takes a long time to recover. Mm-hmm. So talk to me. You have followed the principle of hookah, the Danish principle of hookah, which is about cozy and comfort. And I think it's kind of funny because I was just watching the Ted Lasso episode and they were in Amsterdam. And the main chick, Rebecca, who I just have like such a girl crush on, fell off of one of the bridges and was rescued (laughs) by this like adorable Danish man. But, you know, he's like, of course, she showered in his little houseboat (laughs) and he's making her dinner. And he just keeps saying gazellic, right? Which is this idea of this state of coziness and togetherness. And when you think about the Danish people in Amsterdam, and it's like, there's something about their life. I mean, there's some of the happiest people in the world. Yes where their priorities are. How did you adopt this lifestyle? A, explain it to the listeners sure. and how you brought it into your own American lifestyle and taken it and run. I just want to start by saying we were always huga. We just didn't know it. We didn't know the word that described this obsession that we had for creating an environment, a moment in our home. Huga for me happens in my space in this house. And we grew up by candlelight. Our mom always had candles lit. We joke that we We also had lights on. I'm like, did you have electricity? (laughs) We did. You know, there's Amish places in Indianapolis. I had just north side. We we literally were like, it was like a little den. Like we did really dark. The lights were very dim and we had candles. Not like weird. We weren't like Charles Dickens doing it up. It was one, but the lights were always very dim. Michelle's spot on. We definitely lived in a home that encouraged this kind of ambiance and feeling. And then the older we got, and then I found that going through these really messed up times, like when our mom got sick, when I was going through infertility, and then not going through those times, like when things were chill and really comfortable and life was good, there was always that one constant for me that always kept me feeling like somewhat in like an equilibrium, like homeostasis was having that comfort of either being surrounded by people I really enjoy being surrounded by. So some family, really close friends spending time with people, being in my home in a really comfortable space, but also for me socially, like Michelle mentioned with yoga, community is huge for us, for me. And we found that this lifestyle of Huga is very applicable to no matter where you live, you don't have to be Danish. You can implement this. You don't have to be rich. No, that's the best part. It costs really little to nothing. It's really a mindset. 
And it's really a lot of practicing mindfulness as well, because you're seeking enjoyment and pleasure in the simple things in life. Listen, I feel like we're always trying to keep up. And now with social media, we're like trying to keep up with the Joneses. We're comparing, we're seeing what other people are doing, how big their houses are. But if you can step away from all that BS, it's about being aware. I feel like just simply existing in life is overwhelming. Just waking up totally. and opening your eyes is just absolutely beyond. And this practice is simple as here, my dirty cup of coffee. Like <laughs> as simple as like pouring a cup of coffee and sitting and turning your phone off and shutting off everything around you. And like really taking a moment to enjoy what you are sipping on for five minutes. Because there's something so invigorating and life-giving about sitting in that moment. And I couldn't do this. Five it, minutes is a really long time. When it, I tell people to meditate for five minutes, I'm like, don't be it alarmed. Is. It's going to feel like an eternity. 100%. But then when you leave that moment, for example, the coffee, and you sit back and you're like, wow, you just actually were in that moment. There's pleasure there. And for whatever reason, that pleasure makes you feel good. And it's compound effect too. So you start incorporating these tiny moments into our insanely busy lives. Doesn't matter if you're a mom, doesn't matter if you're not, you have a job, you're taking care of an aging parent, just to get those little sips of huga, whether it's the coffee or a walk or a call with an, a girlfriend, it helps. It just helps. Yeah. I totally find like last night, two of my girlfriends came over and there's an aspect of trying to make your life a little easier too, that I find with this idea of a huga lifestyle too. Like I said, I have a 10 month old and making food is a lot for when it means other people coming over. So I was like, you know what? Let's delegate a little bit. Maggie, you pick up the poke bowls. I got the couch. I got the conversation. I got the beverages and the dessert little tray that I made with Trader Joe's. And just let's come over. My girlfriends and I sat on our couch and ate poke and just visited. And I find that, like Michelle said, you have to like get rid of all of the distractions. So for me to really connect with my girlfriends, even my partner or my sister, anybody, it's really important for me to like get the phone away and really listen to what the words are coming out of their mouth. Because being flippant in conversation, we're like, yeah, yeah, you know, just halfway listening. It's such a fleeting moment to be, you could take advantage of this time with somebody and really connect with them. And as humans, connecting is huge. Michelle and I are really big on the blue zones. I don't know if you're familiar with the blue zones, right? I think by now everyone's kind of heard of them. And within these blue zones, connection is so important and those meaningful connections. So for me, like having my two girlfriends over a year ago, I would have like made this big dinner, but now I'm finding as a mom too, like how can I make my life easier, but also still find those moments to spend with my friends, even though life is a little overwhelming right now with a teething 10 month old. But for me, without those moments, I'm going to feel like shit by the end of the week if I don't connect with someone that's not a 10 month old. So what would the difference between huga and mindfulness be? One's a lifestyle, one's a practice. One yeah. focuses maybe on more the pleasurable side. Or I'm just yeah. trying to... Yeah. In a way, I feel like with mindfulness, but they're integrated. Because if you're practicing this lifestyle of huga, you're being mindful of what is all around you. You're being About mindful the of the space you're in. Yeah. The space you're in who you're with. Maybe it's a great book you're reading. Maybe it's a movie you're watching. Maybe it's a walk in the forest and you're being mindful and looking all around. All these aspects are parts or how you can practice a huga lifestyle. And it's just about actually putting mindfulness within it. And it just makes life, it does make it cozier. I know. And trust me, it sounds like a little cheesy, but once you remove that cheese from it, it is so beneficial to your well-being. 
Just a springboard off of what you were saying, Lauren, I always say that Huga appeals to all of the senses, mm. which I think is what mindfulness really is, being aware of what you're seeing, things, smelling, tasting, what have you. And when you are practicing Huga, whether you're creating something that is creating a smell or a moment or whatever, you are sitting in that moment and those senses are being tapped into. And that is essentially what mindfulness is. Is it seeking out those things that bring joy? Yes. And then really kind of experiencing them or with, creating, with like, mindfulness, yeah. with all of your senses, with every part of your being, but also mm-hmm. seeking out the relationships, seeking out the moments, seeking yes. out the foods, the smells, the textures, the taste, the things that really inspire you, that bring you joy, which is living fully present, right? We, we do. I mean, I was with you. We thrive mindlessly. We live mindlessly. Yeah, we have totally. to pay attention to most things that we're doing, we're living in our head about the story that we're creating, but we're not actually experiencing life because right. we don't drop out of our head into our bodies. That's correct. And I feel like there's another component that we really even haven't touched on that Huga and this type of lifestyle can lend to people, all people, is that as we mentioned, life is so overwhelmingly busy. I mean, we all have this ongoing to-do list of nonstop stuff that we need to check off our list. Or at the end of the day, we're going to think to ourselves like, oh, I didn't get anything done. I'm not moving that needle forward. And one of the biggest aspects of this is to slow the F down because we are on a fast train to the grave if we don't slow down and actually really embrace all of the beautiful things that are happening around us. And also with this lifestyle of Huga, not only slowing it down, but once you, like you mentioned, Jessica, once you cultivate the space and start cultivating those relationships and doing all of these types of things, they just start becoming part of your everyday life. So at the end of the day, when you're like, you know what, instead of working until I close my eyes, I'm going to close my laptop. I'm going to have a glass of wine with a friend or a partner or sit with a book and I'll get to that other thing tomorrow because we'll get to it. And it's more important for me to just chill out and slow down because I've been going on at 80 miles per hour all day long. Do you find, and both of you have shared kind of some moments in life that you've hit some rough patches and that you were able to connect with this Huga lifestyle or did it feel like one more thing that you had to tick off the box? No, I wanted to. Mm -hmm. It had always been something that I had done. But when I finally had a word to attach to it and this understanding that I wasn't just this cozy, obsessed, basic lady that likes to drink a pumpkin spice latte around the fall or what, what have you. No, it just was always a part of me. I just have now understood how much more important it is to create it. So yeah. I make an effort. Thanks for staying with me on that one, guys. I, I was, I knew you were going to come around and I was yeah. waiting for you, but you, yeah. you brought, back, but you, you brought up a really good point. I know that there are listeners out there. They go bananas around the fall time. And it's like, oh my God, we get to pull out our cozy scarves and we get to pull out our pumpkin spice lattes. And that right there, as basic as it might sound, is a beautiful form of enjoying the shift in season, getting excited for like the colors to change, for the cold weather to come upon us. And there's a very important, another important aspect that we're forgetting about this Huga lifestyle is that the Danes are ranked number two only to come underneath the Finns because the Finnish people know what's up. And then the Danish people are right behind them. They are the second happiest people in the world. And these are the types of people that live in very dark areas of the world when the winter rolls about. So that's another part. I know we're shifting. Actually, this will be around the fall time. So it is that exciting time of year. And then we've got the holidays and then January hits. 
February and March, and we're all kind of like busting at the seams. But that is really when you want to even dive in further to this kind of lifestyle because it can help with seasonal depression. It can help with that feeling of loneliness. Right now, the attorney general, I forget who it was, someone just came out breaking news that loneliness is as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I know. I saw that too. Loneliness is killing us as Americans. Yes. And Mm -hmm. that part, there's something to be said about creating a sense of feeling like you belong, a purpose. Huga for someone, maybe an older person listening in, might be going to bingo every Sunday and meeting up with, right, a knitting circle or joining a book club. That is so important to our own mental health and well-being. And especially as the year makes the shift, you know, during the summer, we're outside doing our thing. And then come winter is when you really want to knock on that hookah door and be like, okay, what do I got to do to survive Mm -hmm. through the winter, especially if you're susceptible to feeling down or blue during that time? All right. So the lifestyle component, I think a lot of listeners be like, oh, yeah, pumpkin spice lattes. I can get down with that. Cozy cup of coffee, blanket, a fire, you know, a good book, a friend. But you did mention slowing down. Yeah. And that part is the one that I get the most resistance from. And those are the people, obviously, we all need it the most. The ones that say, well, what? I can't slow down. How can you tell me to slow down? What's your answer to that? I, I think caring less and doing less, honestly. I think it's so basic. And I think it's so hard in the beginning to be able to do this. But once you give yourself permission to go in the middle of the day and sit on your couch and crack open your book for five minutes, 15 minutes, it's almost like a big, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on Zen. Oh yeah. All the time. A big (laughs) fuck you to existing at life. And this is the gift you give yourself, but that is what it is. It's being okay with doing less or nothing at all for just a little bit. Yeah. I agree. I actually had to give myself a little pep talk because I've had to like take a nap during the day here and there. And I'm a 40-year-old woman. I have a small business. I have a baby, but I can't keep my eyelids open. (laughs) There's nothing productive or good coming from my brain at the moment. So the other day, my baby went down and I, you know, I was like, let go of guilt. And I'm just going to give myself permission to slow down. And what happened after that was the rest of my day was just better. I had more energy. I just revived myself. You weren't beating the shit out of yourself. I wasn't. You failed or didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we have a lot of pressure, whether it comes to like responding to emails. And my thing is that we have so many things to get to other people, responses, confirmations, confirming that we're going to get something to them, commitments, our people we care for, our kids, our parents, whoever it might be, our work. And sometimes I'm like, what about us? (laughs) Like, how are we supposed to find time for us? And Michelle and I have been talking a lot about like delegating work. For instance, Michelle's big on Instacart. So instead of finding time to go to the grocery store, she'll get the groceries to her house and then she'll maybe take that hour and go for a long ass walk instead. And I think that's for that. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's some of the trade-ins you have to do to find the slowing down that, well, I can't slow down if I have to get all of this done. Well, let's figure out a schedule. Maybe you have to ask someone for help. Maybe you have to find an app and get someone to deliver something for you so you can find those 10 to 20 minutes a day and commit to it. Because it's really easy to go throughout the whole day and get to the end of the week and be like, oh, I didn't do shit for myself. Yeah. And how do I feel? I feel angry and resentful. I'm bitching at my husband because he's sitting on the sofa enjoying himself. And I'm running around like a crazy person, which is, you know, I'm sending him the signals, which are not my words, just my resentful body language. Right. I mean, how many of us have done that? Right. Like slamming the dishwasher and, you know, he's just watching sports or hanging out, having a good ass time. Extra huff and extra loud. (sighs) 
all the moms out there listening, do it. <laughs> yeah. But it's so true. I mean, we live in a convenience culture, right? Use some Use of it. the technology to your advantage. Absolutely. I mean, I'm all about door dashing to meals. I'm like, you know, I'm just not feeling it. I would have never done that. Five or 10 years ago, I would have never ordered carry out for my kids. I just was a sadist, I guess. I started meal prepping a couple months ago because the dinners at night were taking three hours from making, eating, cleaning. And I was like, my night's done. I have no, and I'm supposed to be working at night because I have a baby that I take care of all during the day. And so I've been meal prepping and that has given me more space to slow down or get my work done without feeling stressed out and whatnot. So I think it has a lot to do with kind of looking at your schedule, where are your priorities, shifting things around a lot and making time for yourself so you can slow down. Yes. My husband and I had a landscaper for the first time in our marriage come to our home and mulch and all these things. And Ryan and I were looking, typically we do that. We like (laughs) it. Well, we have 14 year old twins. No one has time for this anymore. And we're looking out the window and I'm like, Time is money and I will pay that is important to me to pay that particular thing. I'm going to check that off our list so we can do something that we want to do or go to a baseball game and not feel like we have to go home and break our backs when we get there until the sun goes down. Figure out what the things are that you are willing to hand off and find those things and hire them, delegate, outsource, and you open up this free time and again, making space for you to do the things you actually want to do. Yeah. Well, isn't it freeing when you start to give yourself permission? Yes. You know, like you said, I'm not going to make the big dinner. My friend's going to bring the poke bowls over. Yeah. Michelle, it's like, I'm going to hire this out. Normally I would do it. And all of a sudden you give permission to take your life back right? To lower the expectations, to shut the computer and be like, I'm done for today. Mm -hmm. And maybe at first it feels a little uncomfortable, right? So anything new is going to feel uncomfortable. Anytime you're a new student, just remember the first time you were at a yoga class, first time you walked into a new school, it's going to feel like that. It's going to feel weird and awkward. I promise it will get easier. It will get better, but you just sit with it. You're like, oh, Mm -hmm. it becomes so freeing. Mm -hmm. And now that time is non-negotiable. I mean, I take the first two hours of my day. That's my movement, my meditation. That's my time. I'm not taking appointments. I'm not meeting with you. I'm not talking to you on the phone. (laughs) Unless you have something gossipy and fun to tell me and we're just going to catch up. I'm not talking to you. Those are my... I love you. Unless it's gossipy. (laughs) Right? Something interesting. Something really crazy happened last night. You can call me for that. But other than that, this me time. Yeah. And I was just thinking while you were saying all of that, we have so much pressure on ourselves from all these exterior entities. Why not put a little pressure on ourselves to take that time? We kind of almost be like, you're a dick to yourself. You're not taking time to like get your manicure. I joke like my nails are my thing. If that's, if my nails aren't done, I know I'm hitting rock bottom. So it's like, for me, I talk to Anthony, we figure out a schedule and I'm like, I'm getting my nails done. It's going to probably take two and a half hours. I'll see you later. Maybe I'll bring a glass of wine or a podcast or whatever it might be. But that is a commitment to myself because if I don't have my nails done, I feel like shit. So that's just one of the things that I, it's a non-negotiable for me. And I know maybe some people wouldn't find it relaxing, but me and my guy, Tom, we no, I fucking hate it. I I love it. I'm glad that you love it. Oh, I sit there. I I made an appointment for tomorrow and I was like, damn it. I I love it. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. I hate getting my hair done. I hate getting my nails done. Yeah. There's something 
I find joy in it. I don't know. That's great. I like like shooting the shit with my guys. And it's just one of those moments. Also, I'm away from every responsibility. So it's also like, I can't do anything. My hands are literally like tied. So I'm just going to sit here, drop my shoulders and relax. You know, that's why I like flying internationally. Cause I'm like, it's the time that I can watch like four movies and they just bring me food. I don't even have to get up. Right. I mean, you rarely have to go to the bathroom because you're dehydrated and you're flying at 10,000 feet. I'm like, no one can get to me. I absolutely have nothing to do. I love flying, but now I've got a 10 month old who I'm literally like wrestling with on the airplane. But you know what? I was thinking about that today about, and this is kind of the Huga thing. Traveling to me is very Huga. That is where I find comfort. And I, I just am ready to explore and see new things. And traveling with the child is super different. And I was thinking about it today because we're going to have a flight at some point soon. And she's going to get older and be able to move more. And I was thinking, I'm like, what a cool experience this is to be able to take her with me. I know people, before I had my baby, there was a lot of poo-pooing about like, oh, travel now, you'll never travel again with your kids. For a traveler, you don't want to hear that. It's just a bunch of bullshit. And it's really a negative thing to say to someone who wants to see the world. And I've been thinking about it. I'm like, we have to put a spin on how we say things, think things, because what you think you believe. So if I go into this airplane with a baby thinking this is going to suck balls, it's going to. Oh, for sure. Because your brain's going to pick out the negative. Right. And that's just really goes along with like this whole messaging here. Like if you sit inside during the winter, think, oh, this winter's going to suck, blah, blah, blah. That's what's going to happen. If you're going to be alone at home and be like, oh, I hate being a home alone, that's what's going to happen. But if you find that happiness and pick out those things that you can enjoy, your life is going to be brighter. Literally, you're going to see things on a different kind of scale. Well, and I just want to, since we're just talking about Huga and I feel this is important. Well, my favorite definition of Huga is the art of cozy living. Okay. And in order for there to be art, you have to create it. And to what Lauren was saying, you have to seek out the things, make the space, create this thing. We've said it, we're broken records now. It's amazing. Well, I mean, all good things in life take effort. I mean, if you want to make yourself a priority, it's not going to just fall out of the sky. God's not coming down and being like, boom, Michelle, Lauren, Jessica, you are a priority. Here is an hour all to yourself. I've just carved it out. No, you're going to have to create that. Same thing as whatever life you want is your doing, your creation, calling that to you. Mm-hmm. Right? So the best laid plans and those of us with the stress relieving toolboxes and all of this experience under our belt and mindfulness still get beat down, still take on too much. Have Very you guys- much so. Come up with your own red flag signals that you know right away, like, okay, I'm getting close. I need to start adjusting my lifestyle. For me, a specific time was when my mom was sick, I took on the role of starting a soccer team. I did not want to do it. Every part of me said, don't do this. You have too much. And I went against what my internal self was telling me. And what happened was I started to feel stressed. I was looking at the clock. I was a short fuse with my kids. All of the things that what I wanted were being slowly taken away because I had overloaded my plate. So in that moment, it took a bit. You have to be like, okay, it's time to reassess. This isn't working. What do I need to do to take those things off my plate? Which I did. And now looking forward, moving forward in life, I'm really selective. I stop. I assess what I have going on. I sing in a band and 
A couple of my bandmates wanted me to go and form sort of a different band. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. And every part of me wants to become the next Mumford and Sons, but I got some responsibilities and I'm going to have to take a pass on that right now. So it's just like about being aware and responsible for yourself and making good choices. Mm -hmm. What are your red flags, Lauren? Very similar to Michelle's. If I have gone a certain amount of time without seeing people, like spending time with my friends, I really love one-on-one time with girlfriends of mine or like a group, a small group of three of us, something like that. If I start suffering from anxiety, I know I'm definitely becoming overwhelmed. I find that my anxiety comes out of whether I'm in very stressful situations that are, as you can see it, very stressful, a sick mom having a baby, or if I'm just overwhelmed with life in general, that there's something bubbling that I've taken on too much. I've bit up too much that I can chew, things like that. And I think Michelle brought up a really good point. I think saying no is imperative. And I think we're a yes society and women are innately wanting to always say, yes, I can help. I can do this, but it's okay to say no. Like I, for my own sense of well-being and mental health, no, I can't do something that someone needs me to do. And it's hard to say no sometimes, but yeah, red flags are in my nails. I am not joking. Like if my nails look like shit, I know that I'm not taking time for myself. I know you just have to look down at your hands and be like, oh, all right. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I'm not I'm not walking the walk and talking the talk. I've got to do it. Exactly. Weird fact. Marilyn Monroe that has been said to have had really dirty fingernails. And I swear I think about this poor little woman. And and it's such a random fact, but I read her biography that she didn't take care of herself. Like she was right. Well, she didn't. I mean, she she didn't didn't take care of her mental health or physical health. Yeah. And I sometimes find, you know, like physical stuff, like if you started to feel like you're you're not going for walks, things like that, then you know you're putting yourself on the back burner. And that's not a good sign. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, God, Michelle, I feel like you've got a whole boatload. What do you have? This too shall pass. And I know that's such like a common saying that people always hear. But like I mentioned earlier, when I was going through a tough family time, my parents were going through a shitty divorce and then bled into my mom's health stuff later, different things. It was a really, really, really hard time. And it felt like the bleeding was never going to stop. And I walked into my dad's office and mm. he didn't even have to say anything. I sat across from him and he goes, I want you to know something. He goes, the hard stuff doesn't last forever. It can't, it's not possible. This will pass at some point. And that has sort of been my mantra in life because the fact is, is life, you you get seasons and some of them are easy and some of them are really hard. And when you're in the hard ones for me to remind myself to just take care of yourself, but keep powering through and know that there is an end to this at some point it's temporary. So that mm. I think was just a good lesson for me. So now I know as a grown up. <laughs> it's so important. I remember <laughs> writing that in like a, a card to new parents. And it was like, just remember that whatever stage you're in, the good, the bad, the stressful is temporary. Mm-hmm. Everything is temporary. And so that little reminder of that when it's really hard, it will not always be that way. And also when it's really good to just be in that moment and no, that is fleeting too. And that's just yeah. a part of life. So I'm going to steal one that you've taught me that you again came. I, our dad has a lot of zingers and they're good ones. And one of the ones that I like that he has said to Michelle, Michelle has said to me a boatload of times is where there is chaos, there's opportunity. And I don't even mean just like business opportunity. There's opportunities for all sorts of different things. If something chaotic is happening in a store, maybe there's an opportunity to help somebody. 
whatever it might be, there's always an opportunity to figure out how, you know, you can make it either better or where you have an opportunity to help or lend a hand, whatever it might be. Even with the baby, it's chaotic. It's insane. But I know there's opportunity for me to learn how to grow as a mother, how to learn how to be a mother to a 10-month-old who keeps changing every day. There's always opportunities there to also work on my relationship with my husband and use this little child that we have to figure out how are we going to mold our family around having a new baby. So it's super chaotic right now, but I'm finding that there's a lot of space for growth as well. Well, growth is in the suffering, right? I mean, yep. if you never suffer, you're not growing. I mean, that's yeah. the truth. I mean, we, when we find those little pockets where we get a skirt through, man, they're awesome. But not a lot of growth is happening there. You know, you're not totally. really being challenged or having to think outside the box or really dig deep and assess your internal landscape. So all true. I Ladies, this has been so enjoyable. Thank you so much. I checked out your blog. It's amazing. But where you. can listeners find your podcast, your blog, and learn more about Huga and how you incorporate it into your life? Absolutely. They can go for our blog. They can check out the sisterprojectblog.com. And we also have a wonderful cozy AF candle line. So each of our candles is inspired by the seasons. So we have all four seasons up there right now available for sale. They smell so freaking good. I know they are adorable. I love the vessels that they're in. They are so pretty. And thank you. And the scents are just, I mean, if you are a seasonal type of person, you want your home to smell like fall, go get harvest. If you want it to smell like Christmas all year round, go buy the Huga candle. We have one for every season. And then our podcast, Cozy Conversations with the Sister Project. Michelle and I discuss our cozy lifestyle, us being moms and women and friends and sisters, et cetera. And then we also love to always get a dose of pop culture, what's in the news. And we like to kind of digest that and discuss that. So Cozy Conversations with the Sister Project is available anywhere you stream your podcasts. And then you can find us on Instagram at the Sister Project, P-R-O-J at the sister project was taken. Awesome. So. And we will put all of those links down below in the thank show you. notes. Lauren, Michelle, thank you so much. I thank really you. enjoyed this conversation. I know the listeners did too. And so until next time, this is the Zen Mommy. Namaste. Namaste. Love that. Namaste.